Hello and welcome to The Huddle Show. I'm Cindy Dawes here with Melissa Nova. Hello. Hello. Uh, and we're going to have another 40 minutes or so of rambling conversation about things we've noticed, things we've read or watched, and the horror mystery question. Yes. Yes. Looking forward to it. So let's start. Have we noticed anything about ourselves or other people? Well, you were saying before about um, people's emotional openness or you used a really interesting word actually. It was um, oh, permeable. permeability. Yeah. yeah. What did you mean by that? Well, I've been noticing it in myself but also in other people. It's, it's like so much has been going on in the world. Mm. And very many of us are trying to respond to that. And we've had massive upheaval in the way many of us live because of the pandemic. And now a lot of us are sitting in this quite uncomfortable place where we grapple with the anti-racism um, movement and the protests going on around that. And we confront our own beliefs, I suppose, and our own actions or lack of. And what I'm noticing is... It's like all our nerve endings are raw mm. and just exposed to the air. Mm. And I, it takes me back to when, I don't know if you had this experience or if anyone listening had this experience, but when you have a new baby and you're breastfeeding them and you're watching ads on TV, suddenly you're weeping at uh, people cooking dinner for each other or um, people coming home or puppies. Like Suddenly you feel more... Um, just open to all those other emotions and they just land straight on you with no filter. It's, mm. it's, and so I'm noticing that in myself and I'm noticing other people talk to me about that, how they're crying a lot. Uh, sometimes it's happy tears, sometimes it's sad tears, but, uh, yeah, it's a funny phenomenon. Mm. And I think, you know, it has been quite, I mean, it's been quite a year. <laughs> At least from an Australian context. Mm. I mean, we started the year with the the bushfire storm and it's kind of been one thing after another since then, really. Um, And there's a lot to um, process, not just intellectually, but emotionally and physically as well. Like I think a lot of the stuff that um, we're feeling, we're also feeling unconsciously, like we don't actually know our bodies are sending us signals going, oh, I've got to, you know, tighten this in my sort of rib cage or my heart feels mm-hmm. like it's getting tight or my tummy feels something. Um, but because we're not really used to being able to speak the language of the body and being able to name, oh, okay, that feeling in my stomach is actually anxiety or that feeling in my heart is, you know, hurt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're also grappling at that level as well, which is I – I mean, I feel like I'm one of the more lucky people through all of this and still feeling not quite right and not really feeling like there should be any reason for that, but still feeling that. And everyone is sitting, I think, in their version of that confusion. Mm. And especially with all the things that are going on in the States at the moment and Black Lives Matter and um, people trying to work out how to be in that pain as well and trying to like what is what is my version of an authentic response to that 
Mm. Um, I don't know if everyone is thinking about that, but at least people in our circles, and I know mm. you and I and people at Huddle and I know in my um, circle of friends, we're all having that discussion. Mm. It, it made me wonder if this, this could be a very long bow, so hang in there. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. Yeah. <laughs> but last year I went through this um, phase where I read all the books about the trees. I read The Secret Lives of Trees mm-hmm. and I read The Overstory, which maybe oh, we'll talk about one day on this podcast. That sounds like something I want to read. The most amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing book. But so, you know, there's no such thing as a tree and a forest is one thing. A forest isn't a collection mm. of trees. A forest is one connected living being and they communicate through their root systems and through their leaves and, you know, they care for each other. And it's, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but because, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, which will surprise everybody. Uh, but, but I had this kind of image of maybe – because of everything that's going on and this this year being a, a kind of crucible, that perhaps what's happening is we're all tapping into that notion that we are all like a forest mm. and unconsciously we're feeling, I don't know, the pain or the distress or the – it's like emotions are now shared and we don't yeah. have our own individual emotions. Yeah. Yeah. I told you it's a bit of a weird long bow. But. Well, I don't think it is a long bow actually and it's a beautiful segue to something that I want to talk about, which is the book that I've been reading. I mentioned it last time. Um, <clears throat> but before I get to that, um, remind me that I said that, by the way, because I might forget to get to it later. Yeah, okay. <laughs> which is the power of this. By the way, <laughs> Melissa's spoken to me about this book every day since she started reading it, so I'm really glad she has someone else to share it with now. <laughs> You're so patient. <laughs> um, but just that, uh, you know, we would, we, we as in you and I are only having this conversation because we come from the upbringing and the, and the society and the worldview, perhaps that we, we are separate from, from nature in that we, you know, we grew up in Western sensibility. Mm. We got, we were sent, went to school and we did all the things, right? Um, whereas we know that there are some indigenous cultures that actually don't, it's just not a thing. They don't see themselves as a separate entity Mm. from what is nature. Um, and when I think, and I, and I, I, I don't, I didn't grow up in that context, so I don't know for sure. But I think that if that was your understanding of how the world worked, that it would make complete sense that we were responding the way that we're responding because we actually are all connected in mm. some way through some field, um, whether it's the root system or it's a, you know, a social nervous system or it's a, you know, social nervous system is a thing, by the way, mm-hmm. um, in the body. Or it's an external nervous system of some description, you know, whether it's energy or whatever, it's moving. Um and I think I think it's I don't think that it's a particularly, you know, um, spiritual woo woo whatever those words are um, concept to get your head around because I think most people, especially people who perhaps are in the in the sort of line of work that you and I are, where we're facilitating and we're guiding groups of people from one state of understanding to another state of understanding, that um, you can feel what's going on in the room. And it's not because mm. people are 
communicating out to you, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, and it's something mm. that you're processing in your brain. We've spoken about this on the podcast mm. before. Um, I think that it's absolutely a, a, a real thing and um, completely plausible that we're picking up on each other's confusion and suffering and anxiety and, and fear and mm. hope, hopefully in some mm. circumstances. We were talking about that the other day. Mm. Um, yeah. So you wanted me to remind you to talk about power versus force, uh, the hidden determinants of human behavior by David R. Hawkins, MD, PhD. <laughs> it's a very, very, very formal. I know introduction it's, to the book. It just happens to be on the table next. It to you. does. It's, I haven't memorized any of that. I literally yeah. picked it up. So talk to us about this book. Yeah. So before we were talking about, um, you know the. Um, interconnectedness perhaps of people and that we're all part of nature and just like trees we can perhaps pick up on um you know just how other people are feeling and all of that sort of stuff and the the study that um they talk about in the book is one that they ran over like 20, 25 years. Um, they used a scientific method. It was, um, you know, um, what is it, double blind? Oh, yeah. Um, repeated measures, double mm-hmm. blind methodology, which basically means, you know, the, um, the, the person who's doing the investigating doesn't necessarily know that whether or not they've got mm. the thing that they – um, this is a really great succinct explanation of the yeah, repeated Yeah, so neither measures. the subject of the <laughs> or, experiment or the or person doing the experiment knows, knows whether they've got the active ingredients, yes. say. And, um, yeah, and uh, they were using a methodology which um, is called muscle testing, which is from kinesiology, and um, they were using that to um, see whether or not they could actually work with and document the body wisdom as opposed to the sort of intellect that we're used to accepting as a thing, the mind. Um, And um, by using muscle testing, being able to sort of interrogate um, things like um, politics and world events and um, the truth of certain, you know, biblical texts and all of this sort of stuff and then be able to calibrate their truth level essentially or how um, how aligned with life it was. Like is it life supportive or is it detra- detracting from life? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing that it's had me um, kind of – reflect on was so many things as you know because I kept on I kept on talking about it but the first one is the whole notion of this um collective consciousness like by using the body as a a a um instrument almost like a scientific instrument Mm. that is sensitive to this collective consciousness and by using a um, testing methodology that requires communication that's sub, like quicker than conscious thought, so the whole muscle testing thing, that's why they use that because it's literally the spinal cord and then back again kind of thing. It's too quick for the brain to be able to say, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for that to be a repeatable scientific methodology that's been repeated in different labs by different scientists in different labs all around the world, 
creates this really kind of solid base to be able to um, accept that perhaps there is this collective consciousness that we are all collected, are connected to, and that our bodies are a way for us to be able to access the truth that exists in the collective understanding of what's good and what's bad or what's right and what's wrong. And I don't like the dichotomy situation, mm. but just like what is more supportive of life and what is less supportive of life. Um, and I just, I just, it's been, it's had me reflect on um, so many different aspects of the way that I show up in the world as well. Like there's a page that I want to share with you. We were talking about that last night, which is a whole bunch of um emotions perhaps or attitudes or stances we use the word stance a lot in our work Mm. um where one side is um perhaps more supportive of of life and of growth and the other one is less supportive um and the way that they talk about that is one is more powerful and the one is more forceful um and that if you can occupy a place of power and not in the way that we would commonly use the word power but in this very specific context um, that uh, you have the ability to affect quite significant change in the world because you're coming from this energetic place and you're being informed by this untapped wisdom that is beyond the intellect. And it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, quite literally. Mm. You've tried to explain this to me a couple of times <laughs> and... Every time you try and explain it to me, I'm with you for a while and then I just feel my brain wandering off to a whole other place. I don't know why I can't. There's something in me is really struggling to connect with this mm. and I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm a bit of a skeptic about kinesiology, I yeah. think. Yeah. I know I'm a bit of a skeptic about kinesiology. Yeah. And it's not because I don't understand it. You know, I remember once having an argument with someone at a party about, oh, I can't remember what it was, it was some alternative health therapy and they said how could I possibly trust it because I didn't understand it and I replied that I didn't actually understand how aspirin worked or a plane worked yeah and I was pretty happy to get on board with both those things yeah so it's not that I don't understand it yeah there's just something in me I think is pretty resistant yeah to it so then when you take that to a uber level Mm. that this thing I'm a bit skeptical about Mm. can be used to explain how the world is kind of yeah my brain just explodes actually so i hope um our listeners are a bit more on board with you than i (laughs) well i think it's really i think either way it's a really fascinating exploration Mm. into you know what is possible because you know we all have we all have things that we can we all have limitations to what we can accept as Mm. possibility right um, and one of the things that I deliberately try and do, and this is like just because I'm a, a forever curious person and I actually get a lot of joy out of doing this, but also there's a little bit of del- deliberateness in it as well, which is to expose myself to very different mm. w- m- ways of thinking, different paradigms of living, different. And, and I do that um, quite deliberately because I, I feel like, just by virtue of being in this body <laughs> and being born at this time to, you know, the parents that I have and all of that cultural context mm. and all of the things sets up a certain worldview, sets up a certain perspective. Mm. 
And it's just so fascinating to be able to um, connect with other people's realities, Mm. you know, because we all share different versions of the same reality. Oh, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, maybe one day I'll get on board with this, but, you know, and I think it is important to expose yourself to different points of view and different um, approaches to life and increasingly you know, as we look at how the media is changing and ownership of the media and social media, people now can curate their own information knowledge bubble mm. and you can weed out things that don't support your current worldview so easily. And and so in some ways, even though we now have a lot of people, not everybody has access to this, but a lot of people in the world now have greater access than they have ever had to the vast array of information and knowledge that there is that's ever been documented and collected and spoken of and recorded. Uh, We also seem to be seeing a kind of explosion of ignorance because people are narrowing their information sources and and they are their own curator Mm. and uh, Mm. that's not great for the world. So I'm admiring of you for that mm. work that you do mm. i just can't be there with you on all of it. Yeah. yeah which makes which is what makes our conversation so entertaining i think for both of for us, us. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been reading power versus force which i think we will probably hear a bit more about in um other weeks on this podcast as i make more sense of it and yeah. apply it to yeah things right. for sure yeah yeah I just ask you to remember that, you know, I don't know if people will be aware of this, but there's this NLP, so neuro-linguistic programming concept called meet then lead. Yes. <laughs> and I think you need to meet me <laughs> and maybe other listeners to lead us to a place of understanding on know, this book. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think you know what would be a nice little experiment for us to do, a little bit of homework that I'm going to set for ourselves between mm-hmm. now and the next podcast. Not for you listeners. No, no, it's no. in you and I so yeah. we can report back on mm-hmm. our experience of it. But is to actually do some of the, the some of the exercises that it talks about, like some of the muscle testing stuff mm-hmm. that it actually talks about, and for us to do it on each other, oh, and to see whether or not we can replicate some of the results. I think that would okay. be a very scientific, okay, and rational and very. Do they giggle and laugh a lot when they're doing the testing? Because I, I feel like that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay, can be an addition to the method. Yeah. Um. Anything else we've been reading or watching or seeing? Well, you've been reading something interesting, The Sand Talk. Oh, I have. I don't feel like I'm ready to talk about oh, it. Oh, okay. And I think I've mentioned it before. So yeah. I think you, somebody else mentioned it to me as well. Yeah, Sand I Talk. I can't remember the author's name, but it is a very interesting book about it's kind of based on a series of yarns and um, an Australian Indigenous author goes and meets with other Indigenous people all over the world, actually, not just in Australia, uh, to come to understand how they see the world and how some of that knowledge can be applied now. So, you know, there's this kind of, I will talk about it a bit more later, but there's this kind of, I don't know, mythologizing of Indigenous people sometimes that we hear and that we do, which is, you know, they had this dreaming as if that was a thing in the past mm. and as if things they did were this weird golden age maybe mm. that we should return to, but it, it fails to see that, you know, the way that, you know, for instance, um, 
in this book he talks about he does this he does a lot of visual diagrams which do my head in but a lot of people would love like oh, yeah. humorless yes i would love that and uh, this is the book I this is the now. book yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and so for instance there's this diagram he has which talks about layers of kinship and generation so you have a a daughter a mother and a grandmother but then what happens is that actually it all flips so it's not immovable and the grandmother becomes the child then and so he talks about if you had that belief how differently would you view the future mm. how differently would you think of sustainability yeah yeah um and that just stuff like that is really is so compelling mm. now mm. because if you had some of those mindsets we would do things differently so i will a bit like you and power versus force yeah. i need to spend a bit more time yeah comprehending that book um, I was listening to something interesting. I know you were. There was that other book, the book that you said you didn't need in your life. Oh, the Charlotte Wood. Oh book. my God, yes, yeah. the Charlotte Wood book. So, Melissa gave me this book, the Charlotte fiction, Wood book. By the fiction, way. yes, yeah, fiction. Melissa book. is reading fiction. <laughs> uh, it's by Charlotte Wood, who I think is an extraordinary author. And I started reading it, and I just, oh, my whole body just. I couldn't read it. It was made me feel terrible. The vague premise, some of you might read this, is... Um, What's it called? It's called The Natural Way of Things. I think The Natural Way of Things. We'll put a link. Uh, in fact, we might put a link up last week. We'll do it again. Uh, and the premise is that a group of women find themselves in a camp, uh, imprisoned, and they work out the common thread between them through... Um, some discussion and deduction. And the common thread among them is that they have um, been involved in a sexual relationship of their own making or not of their own making uh, that has caused them to be shamed. And uh, so this is um, a story of um, women who are brutalized and dehumanized and treated very cruelly um, for that reason. So it's it's a parable, mm. I guess. Um, but the the writing is extraordinary because you you well I had such a immediate and complete physical response to it was like I was there with them. And then the really amazing thing that happens as the book goes on for me, was you become like the women. You become attuned to being in that place. Like the horror of it kind of morphs and changes and they, all the women in their own particular way, come up with an adaptation about how they're going to survive in that place. A couple of them thrive maybe. Um, and and you as a reader are in that space with them as well a lot of it becomes normalized and that's horrifying um and and then there's one more thing i want to say about it because i know you read it as well i did yeah uh is that i read somewhere or someone pointed me to something um in a social media group i mean i was talking about this book with other people who had read it and they said one of you know the most chilling thing for them was finding out that this was based on something true now, obviously, she's taken it further. <laughs> They're in the outback and there's an electric fence, but there was in the a... the Australian outback too. Yeah, the Australian outback. Yeah. 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 But the true thing or the thing that she leverages off is there was this place in Sydney called Hayes 
training school for girls. Right, I didn't know about that. And uh, girls who had behaved in a way that was seen as sexually aberrant or, um, you know, done something that society didn't think was good were sent to this place and treated really badly. And it was a secret. People didn't even know it existed. This sounds like a – this is really disturbing. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's what this woman said. She said the book was really chilling, but to find out right. there's an antecedent of truth mm. in it, you know, which is what makes The Handmaid's Tale, that book by Margaret yeah. Atwood, so horrifying. Yeah. And she quite famously said, you know, it's sometimes described as science fiction, but she said famously that – she didn't write anything in that book that hadn't already happened or couldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it actually, you know, just to draw a very long bow back to the <laughs> power versus force. Oh, the good. Collective consciousness mm-hmm. thing. I think I think we do we do know that. Like as mm. in that's what makes something quite chilling and quite compelling because we have this sense or this knowing mm. that this this is actually possible. Like this is not too ridiculous in terms mm. of what as an idea or as an event. Like you can, there's something somewhere inside you that kind of goes, mm, actually, yeah, I believe yeah. that. Yeah. I believe that that could happen. It makes it feel more dangerous. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The um, Yeah, the thing for me, I had a very similar, I had a very similar experience Um as you in reading the book, I'm not as um, adept at talking about it like as you are. Um, the you know the the thing about surviving versus thriving in that environment. You know, one particular, um, and they all take different paths. And one particular mm. um, character um, actually takes on this really sort of um, strong sort of provider role mm. in a way. And um, seeing how each of the women kind of evolved into a role in that weird, twisted community that they essentially were, including the captors, mm. and how the the way the captors were treating the women changed over time as well, as mm. they too went through their own version of some... Um, twisted suffering as mm. well um but then uh as with the other book that i gave you idaho mm. at the end of that and there's some sort of things that you picked up that i, that I was lost on me um but at the end the very ending not oh, that we want to yeah. give that away but that was also kind of open to interpretation i think and mm. i interpreted it one way and you interpreted it another way mm. about what was like what was the point of all of this and what was the plight of the women? Because, mm. um, yeah, I don't yeah, know how think, much we can talk about it. You but... think better is to come and I think worse is to come. That's right, essentially. Yeah. 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 yeah and that's and the difference. a couple of characters in the book make a decision based on their belief about what yeah. is to come, actually. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, it's worth, well, it's not an uplifting read by any stretch. It's not an uplifting but... read, but she is quite an extraordinary writer. Yeah. So I hope she writes something more uplifting next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Should we look at the mystery question? Let's do it. I'm ready. Because I nearly segued into something else. Oh, okay. took, I was going to talk about oppression generally, oh, another very lighthearted <laughs> topic, but we might save that for another okay. time. 
Okay. We this do is... want people to listen as well. <laughs> no, it was, it's, it's really interesting stuff okay, on good. oppression. Okay, good. Hopeful. <laughs> All right. This is quite a long question. I've just picked it up. Okay. And there's a preamble. The global pandemic has provided an opportunity to observe the responses of our current world leaders and compare their leadership style as well as measure its success. There's no denying a standout would have to be the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. Do you think that a leader like Jacinda Ardern with the same leadership skills and communication approach would be equally successful in leading a country like the United States? And why? And then that says, what about Australia? Mm. I feel like we don't have enough time for all of that. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. How would Jacinda Ardern go in the United States or Australia? Yeah. You know, I don't know whether or not it's because I've been so immersed in this book, this power versus force mm. thing, but one of the, you know, one of the things that it talks about is, um, you know, all of these different emotional states and all of these different attitudes that we bring to the way that we show up in the world have a certain resonant energy. And um, they have calibrated in some way um, these energetic states and it sort of goes from zero to a thousand. Mm-hmm. And what they've said is anything that um, sort of resonates over 200 um, is um, – is is powerful is is life supporting is is um enhancing conditions for humanity and anything below doesn't and there's this interesting um sort of they they talk about politics and they talk about um the big sort of challenges that are facing humanity around you know um you know drugs and homelessness like all the things and one of the things that they said was if you um try to solve a problem so say that the problem is around um drugs and the addiction to mm-hmm. drugs and remember in the states in the past i think it was in the bush administration there was the whole war war mm-hmm. on drugs mm-hmm. kind of thing um that if you if the approach that you're taking to be able to solve the challenge that is that society is facing is at the same resonant energy level of 150 say or lower it actually won't be effectual that you need to have a an attitude or, or a um, emotional um, stance and um, approach to the way that you solve that problem that needs to be of a higher level of energy, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. So those higher energetic states are usually what we would probably refer to as the more um, open, altruistic, loving, compassionate. Um, the sort of the the sorts of places that we often just occupy and and work within Mm. um and you know compassion is getting right up there Mm. in the 400s or 500s or whatever Mm -hmm. and i think um if you take that lens on it and you have a look at the the um the way that jacinda occupies a lot of those places around empathy and compassion and understanding and openness and acceptance um you would say that her style of leadership would absolutely be more effective to be able to deal with the challenges that that nation is facing, um, just purely through that lens. Um, but mm. I think there's a lot to also be said about how easy it is to change stuff. So if you think about um, New Zealand in terms of its scale and how big it is and all of that mm. sort of stuff versus America and, and that sort of thing, 
you've got to absolutely take that into consideration. Mm. I mean, New Zealand also doesn't have the multi-layers of government that we and have that, or the state yeah. has, for instance. Yeah. I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I wonder if you also need to have a receptive nation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a people, are New Zealanders more able to accept that kind of leadership? I mean, they actually, you know, they voted her in. So what was it about New Zealanders that could see that that was going to be mm. the kind of leadership that they wanted or needed? Mm. Uh, because it's not as if people who don't have those qualities don't put themselves up for office here or mm. in the States, mm. and yet they aren't elected. Mm. So I don't know the answer to that, but, yeah. but maybe there's something about you need enough people who are open to that way of leadership solving a problem for them so that they can kind of step out. Of, and, you know, you and I have had some conversations about this where um, you have such a beautiful, open approach to the world, you don't even know that, you know, the idea that Australia is a two-party system is something that you've just never thought about. Mm. But, in fact, to get that kind of leadership, maybe more people need to set, set outside that paradigm themselves mm. so that we can have it. Mm. That's it's a funny way to approach that question, I guess. But uh, I think you can only be effective as a leader if you have that. Um, like leadership's a two-way street. I mean, mm. otherwise it's dictatorship, right? Mm. So you can only be a good leader if people are happy to be led. Mm. Yeah, it goes back to the fellowship thing that we were talking yes. about earlier. Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, and I also, I also wonder. So the, there's this, there's this other thing that they talk about in the book. You're this, this podcast used to be brought to you by Glenn and Doyle and Untamed. We're now brought to you by Power versus Force. <laughs> You're just getting a, a, a very slight view into what Cindy's week has been like. <laughs> It's like, would you like a cup of tea? You know, I just want to talk to you about how that's relevant to what I've been reading. Um, uh, I've just distracted myself. All right. And in in that, um, you know, the notion of the calibration and that as you become sort of, it, I guess, I don't know, more energetically aligned with supporting life and, and enabling growth and positively affecting humanity, whatever that is, um, the potency of that of that power also increases. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, say I'm just I'm making up numbers now, but mm-hmm. say you had um, one person who was um, had a consciousness who was evolved that was operating at say 500. I think Jesus Christ and stuff were at you know, you know, 900, a thousand or something when they walked. I don't think you should talk about that because I don't understand how they could possibly have known that because the only thing we know about Jesus is from people who wrote things down. No, but this afterwards. is the thing: like you have to read it. You have to read it because it's not about. It's not about what we've read and what we've written, and it's not about our intellect. It's not about history. It's not about any of that. Okay, so I, I will read that bit. Okay. You read that bit. So I'm just going to go okay. with that. But just so, and so the the point that I'm trying to make is that you know having having someone that's say at you know the level of um, Einstein and Freud and all of that mm-hmm. who are quite evolved beings, mm-hmm. they say. Um, has more potency in terms of their ideas and the ability to perpetuate their ideas and the ability to influence groups Mm -hmm. of people with their thinking than, say, you know, 10,000 people at the level of 100. 
right? So uh-huh. there's also this, you, there is that thing that you're talking about, the point that you're making around fellowship and a receptiveness. Mm. But then there's also, and they talk, they use Gandhi as an example mm-hmm. as well in the approach that he took, which was very peaceful and very kind of anti-force. It was mm. very powerful. Um, and the revolution that he was able to lead in the way that he did. Mm. Um, so th- there is this, there's this, there's a potency to it as well in terms of, yes, people may be receptive or not receptive, but then there's also just um, when you, when before we were talking about, you know, how there's just this knowing where you kind of go, mm. oh, this is actually, I think this is possible, this is real. Mm. That's the same, it's the same thing that gets enacted when you mm. see a leader and you kind of go, well, actually, now that I've been in the presence of this person and I've listened to what they have to say, I actually have had a perspective shifting moment and I can see the world a slightly different way to the way that I was before I had that interaction. Mm. And so there is that, I think, also. Because mm. there's another whole lens on it too. You know, there was a, a something going around. We have a tweeting um, timer here. So there was something going around as well that talked about the countries that seem to be grappling best with the COVID-19 pandemic were all led by women. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know where that fits into your force versus power. Yeah, it's not gendered, which I like. No, yeah. but maybe, then maybe there's something in that as well. Yeah, I think so. I think, well, if you have a look at those list of emotions. <laughs> My God, there's like this... <laughs> This driving force from Melissa for me to open this book. Please stay tuned to see if I ever do. I think you're just going to resist it now. Because Probably. You've talked it up too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they're the those those emotional states are more often um, assigned to someone who is in a female body than mm. a male body if we're going to go there but i i feel uncomfortable talking about that stuff because mm. um it's not really this is this is talking more about um energy and influence and and mm. words and language mm. and where the person's coming from and all of that sort of stuff mm. but i've read the same articles that you have mm. read and yeah can't ignore that that's perhaps a factor mm. Mm. Well, we could thank you to the person who gave us that mystery question. Thank you. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yes. But we're not. We're not so it's probably time for us to finish. And say goodbye. And say goodbye. Thanks for listening. Next time. Yeah. Bye. See ya. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Huddle Show again. Uh Oh my god okay let's begin again <laughs> this is gonna be one of those days isn't it okay